What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart, and we got a great show lined up for you guys today. We'll be talking baseball. We have one half of the uh, wild card done. By the time you listen to the show, there'll be two parts of the wild card done. We are fully uh, in October baseball. The playoffs are underway, so we'll talk a little bit about the game we saw on uh, Tuesday night with the Nationals and what we think about their chances moving on and who will uh, come out on top in the World Series later this month. Also, we have a big suspension in the NFL. Vontaze Burfick now done for the year after a helmet-to-helmet hit this past Sunday. He's supposed to be supposedly appealing. I asked Kendall if that was the right ruling to ban him for the whole season. And a big, uh, land, really landmark decision uh, ruling out in uh, California as they uh, they legalized um, athletes, college athletes being allowed to make money for their likeness and uh, and their name and their image. Uh, that law would go into effect in 2023. The NCAA has made... Uh, very let's just say dramatic uh, dramatic uh, uh responses to to this ruling they said it could ruin amateur sports as we know it um they've been very very uh very upset with what's happened so we'll weigh in on that as well and we'll talk some college football since we i don't think we got too much college football uh last week so good show today should be fun joining me is my co-host uh kendall stewart kendall what's up dude it's good to have you back on the show we're looking forward to talking about today yeah, man. Uh, a lot of interesting topics, like you mentioned. Um, haven't talked about baseball in a while, so that will uh, that should be interesting. See where where we're at at this point in the season, uh, heading into October. Um, well, we're in October now. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that should that's obviously a fun time uh, for the season. Um, so, I mean, I'm excited about that, and then. A lot of interesting uh, college basketball stories that I have lined up um, at the end of the show. So uh, we'll get to that when we get to that at the end. So let's start off uh, the show. As I said earlier, the Nationals punched their ticket into and into the NLDS after overcoming a 3-1 deficit in the eighth inning of their wild card matchup with the Brewers. Juan Soto was the hero driving in three runs. Uh, off of uh, Josh Hader and an error from Trent Grisham, uh, uh, that they now move on to face the Dodgers. Kendall, um, and, uh, this was a really weird, thrilling game. Uh, you had really kind of a contrast of styles where you have the uh, Brewers who pretty much uh, do almost a pitcher by committee situation where they don't really in the playoffs go through traditional starters and they were kind of managing several pitchers throughout the game and you get to the point where Hader comes in the eighth and he's pretty much the guy that's supposed to uh close the door uh on team on opposing teams and you think the Brewers are going to advance and they're unable to, to, to shut the door and you had the Nationals starting their ace uh you know a, a perennial Cy Young contender and Max Scherzer and he kind of struggled a little bit yesterday and then they were um, buoyed by the play of uh, by the excuse me by the pitching of of, of uh, Strasburg coming out of the bullpen out of all people so um, it was a crazy game last night what did you make of the finish and do you think the Nationals now having gotten over that bugaboo of actually finally winning a elimination game uh, do you think that they pose any kind of threat to the Dodgers who had a tremendous season who obviously you know very well coming out of NL West being a, a Giants fan um. 
yeah, I mean, look, I, I can't, I can't really. It's tough for me to say that they can, that they've, you know, separated themselves from any stigma about not being able to win. I yes, this is this was important. Yes, it was an elimination game, but when you win a wild card game, especially a game where you're down for most of it, I, a part of me is like, all right, it's a one game scenario. Like it'd be different if they were down in a series or they were tied in a series and it was an elimination game, I feel like that that's a little... I mean, probably... It's probably harder to win a wild card game, so they have that credit, but it, it almost feels different when it's a one-game elimination than it is when it's a series elimination game. But um, with that being said, beating this Milwaukee team is still impressive. Um, this is a team that, obviously, despite not having Christian Yelich, still a team that people thought could possibly take down the Dodgers. So... Um, credit goes to this Washington team that is playing very good baseball. Um, I, I mean, for me, what this shows you is that, like, like this is, like, proof that baseball is, is a sport where, you know, losing one player like Bryce Harper does not really tank your franchise. Yeah. Um, if you have an infrastructure. Look at where Harper is in Philly. They had a solid year, but they're not. <laughs> they're not playing postseason baseball. No, like a five hundred team, I think, by the end of the year, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily Harper's fault, but again, he couldn't carry the load. Um, Washington, they found ways to replace Harper's production. If uh, you know, they've had guys like Rendon and so Juan Soto obviously step up. Uh, you know, Rendon's a free agent, so we'll see what kind of we'll see if they bring him back up. <laughs> if they lose Rendon and Harper back to back all season. That could be a little harper, a little harder, I should say, to uh, to to replace Hart Strasburg, I believe, as well as free agent. But um, but no, yeah, I think this Washington team should be dangerous. I don't know if they can compete with the Dodgers. Um, I'll be honest. Uh, I think that that they are a team that will have to. Um, I think Atlanta is probably our. I would say our best hope <laughs> rooting against the Dodgers. Because <laughs> I love the Dodgers, right? But um, <laughs> I would say Atlanta is the best chance. Uh, if we're looking at a team in the NL, I think to beat uh, the Dodgers, I just think ta- in terms of talent profile, I think they, they're probably uh, the closest thing. So um, I don't know. I, it's not going to be an easy ask for anybody to beat this Dodgers team. They're They're – you know, probably the, they're far and away, I think, the best team in the NL on paper. But we also know that they have a lot of guys that don't necessarily show up in October the same way they show up uh, in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, look, the one thing I will say about this Nationals team that sh- what they showed me last night was a heart and a grit that they just flat out have not had. Um, I think that when you think about Washington Nationals baseball, I think you think of underachieving. I think you think of unclutch. I think sometimes you think soft. And that's not what I saw last night. Um, I saw a team that despite really the, the fans were just out of that game as soon as it started to get bleak near the end. Um, I saw a team that showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit against a, a very tough lefty in Hader who um, looked dominant until all of a sudden it just fell apart for him. And uh, that's kind of what's crazy about baseball and playoff baseball specifically, and why I enjoy it so much is that you know things can turn on the, on the, on the, on a dime, and every pitch and every play 
matters. And uh, the excuse me, the um, the Nationals showed a lot of heart, and that's why I wouldn't close the door on them completely in a series against the Dodgers. But it's going to be tough because now um, you had Strasburg pitch three innings um, in the you know in an elimination game. You had uh, you know a really underwhelming performance from Scherzer. So those two guys, you would think, are not you're not going to see them until the series goes back to 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 Washington, and you got to you know you got to keep the series in Washington. You would think, you know, they're not going to go and take two from the Dodgers in the first two series or in the first two games. So I, I think, you know, they took so much energy to try to just win that one game. I don't know if they can come around and and now beat a team as deep as the Dodgers. Their rotation is extremely formidable. Uh, they, they're deciding to go with Bueller in game one. I actually think that's a good decision. I know that it's a little bit of a... Raise some eyebrows, considering Ryu has been their best pitcher all year. And, uh, and, and of course, Kershaw has the track record. Um, not necessarily in the postseason, but the track record of being one the greatest pitcher of his generation. But, look, if you look at that roster, you look at that rotation, you say, who's the guy that... Um, you feel like can dominate is most likely to dominate an opposing uh an opposing lineup i'm picking bueller right now i think that's uh that's what they're doing and going with him but they got two other really good options i think the nationals they got corbin going in in game one and and he's he's good but i just think there's too much depth too much depth in the lineup too much depth in the rotation i agree i don't think the nationals have much of a chance I don't even really think anyone really has a great chance against this team. I know you mentioned Atlanta. Uh, I, what's the deal with Acuna? Is he going to be healthy? I, I, I just, I just think that this is a team that's uh, that's just far and away uh, more talented than everybody else. Now, the the key with the Braves in terms of uh, their chances if they can get past, of course, St. Louis, who I don't really think should beat the Braves, but again, the Braves are dealing with some injuries. The the one thing that excites people excites me about the Braves is their ability to hit and they had mashers. But again, if Acuna, who really makes the lineup, he's the as Reggie Jackson once called himself the stir the straw that stirs drink. If he's not one hundred percent, uh, I don't know if they have enough firepower to to match a team like like, like Los Angeles. I, I think it's theirs for the taking in terms of the National League. Yeah, you know. I definitely see that as a fair assessment of the Dodgers team and where they could be when we look when we look back, you know, next month. But um, like, how many years have we said that the Dodgers are the best team in the AL on paper, or the NL? I should say on paper. That's true. And how many years have they come out? I mean, they've come out of the NL, but you know, obviously they have no rings to show for it. They have a couple of pennants, but no rings to show for it. So. You know, maybe this is this year is different. I would say that of this year of all, of all years, there seems to be the least amount of opposition and competition. But um, I mean, we've seen bigger surprises in baseball, so I don't know. I I I, I don't trust the mental makeup of this roster. Uh, so I I I would say that I think Atlanta is going to come out of the 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 NL. Um, and wow, yeah. Now, do you are they're starting Keiko in game one instead of Soroka? Uh, I understand it's a rookie, but his 
been just lights out for the majority of the season. Keiko has a World Series experience. Does that surprise you that they don't go with the guy who I think has been their ace? Uh, no, nah, it didn't surprise me. I, I feel like, um, one, when you're talking about uh, the postseason, while, yes, you typically want your, your ace or your best guy to, to start game one, um, you also, there may be a strategy to why they want to, because, I mean, as we see, as we see the, I mean, the Dodgers aren't starting Kershaw, you know, yeah, first sure. game. You know, clearly, you know, I, it, it's not necessarily a thing of we're going to – because, like, Kershaw is undoubtedly the best pitcher on that Dodgers team. Even, you know, we can talk about his struggles in the postseason, whether or not those are real. I mean, the struggles are real, whether or not they are going to be applicable to this season, you know, or whether or not they're taking that into consideration. I don't know. I don't know how seriously they're taking those into consideration, but um, – so in that respect, I, I can see why they're just going with a guy like Keiko uh, for the Braves. But um, at the end of the day, like, you're not winning. It's hard to win playoff series and pennants and World Series with just one pitcher anyway. You know, you need your whole staff and your bullpen to to, to be on point if you really want to, you know, go deep in the postseason. So uh, who starts game one, uh, it, it's important. But I think I think beyond that, they they still have a it's a long it's a long month. And they actually ended up, uh, Kendall. They ended up moving Soroka back to line him up for a, a game three start, which is super fascinating to me because for a younger pitcher, I would want him at home in a playoff game, wouldn't I? I mean now. He, it's so bizarre because he's a young, he's a extremely young pitcher, but he, he's a, he's been their ace, but he's the most also least experienced. So, in one sense, I can understand you saying, okay, I don't want the pressure of him being in a game one, and he didn't really necessarily finish the year that great. Maybe I move him back. I thought maybe a game, but to move him back to game three, uh, that you know now you know, uh, I mean, he's also been solid you know, for years in Atlanta, but that uh, the way they're working this rotation is, is interesting to me. It might not matter. Cause I think that they have so much more talent than St. Louis, but it is something I think that I'll be paying attention to, uh, quickly in the American league, uh, you have Atlanta in the, in the, in the national league. Who do you have coming out in the American league before the season? You had the Red Sox. Are you staying, yes. are you staying AL East with the Yankees? Or are you going somewhere else? Uh, no, uh, I, don't, I do not believe it will be the uh, Yankees. Uh, but with that being said, um, I, I don't think I think I think the, the ALCS is going to be Houston and Minnesota, and I want to go with Minnesota a lot, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go Houston. It's a safe bet. There, that is another case of they're just more talented than everybody else, but. Um, I would, I would certainly watch out for the Minnesota team if they're a dark horse to win it all. Now the uh, problem with Minnesota, Ken, though, is they've just been. I mean, I know it's a different team, and we say that every time Minnesota plays against the Yankees, but they cannot beat the Yankees in the postseason. They've never done it. I think at least they haven't done it in my lifetime. 
And they always seem to get matched up with the Yankees in the first round. And a lot of these, it's, it always comes in years where you think, man, Minnesota looks great. They could be a dangerous team this season. I, I remember when we did our MLB preview, uh, you know, while everyone was jumping to, you know, uh, everyone talked, we talked about how Minnesota could be dangerous this year. And I think they exceeded the expectation. But at the end of the day, they're still are staring down the Yankees. And it's a team that they just historically have had terrible, a terrible time with. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you know, the fan, the fan base, and the media, the local media is probably the most vexed by that. You know, they're probably the ones that are most concerned about, you know, that that history. Um, beyond that, you got to hope that just, uh, I mean, this is a one hundred win baseball team. Yeah, so, I know. You know, I, I would hope that they're not, you know, personally thinking about, oh, we can't beat the Yankees. Um, you know, the Yankees aren't, I mean, they're not, obviously they're not slouches in their own right. You know, they probably have more talent on paper, but, um, but I, I would hope that again, that, that this, this ball club is, and they don't necessarily even have the experience, but um, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you have a team that's inexperienced, but they, they, they don't, they, that means they rise to the occasion. Yeah, sometimes not being so familiar with the stakes can work to your benefit because you don't you don't get too riled up for the situation it can go both ways i mean sometimes you can just not know how big this is and you could just melt but um but i mean uh you know i think about like the o3 marlins and how you know you had pudge who was the leader but a lot of those other guys didn't know what the hell was going on but they were just playing ball you know what i'm saying and yeah. going to Chicago in the freezing cold, and they weren't afraid in those games, and 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 that was uh, that I think helped them that they weren't this team that had these high high stakes, these high expectations going in. The Twinkies, I think, come in with a similar uh, in a similar aspect. I, I I do feel like the Yankees. I, I say this every year because I've picked the Twins to beat the Yankees a couple of times in these. I don't know how many straight losses they've had against the Yankees. I do feel like this is the year of all the years that I'm most concerned about the Yankees in their first round matchup with the Twins because the Yankees from a just from a, a, gl- a outside glance, I don't see a stopper in their rotation. The best pitcher they've had is gone. Herman is is done for the year. They've been battling, you know, because of his domestic violence suspension. They've been battling injuries. Paxton is supposed to be the guy, but do we really? Is Paxton a stopper? You know, and this Twins team, I think, is as lethal in terms of the power as any other Twins team the Yankees have played, and they're going to be playing in a pretty friendly ballpark for them. It's going to be a situation where I think it's going to be a slugfest, and you just kind of don't know what to expect when. That kind of thing happens. Anything, anything's possible. We don't have starters that can come in and just turn your lights out. So, I think the Yankees are vulnerable. I agree. I think that the the Yankees will lose this first round matchup. I do think we'll see Strohs and Twins, but I picked the Strohs for the season to win it all. I'm staying with the Astros. I think they'll play the Dodgers, like a uh, which you know had the Cubs in the in the preseason. I think we'll have an Astros Dodgers World Series. I think the Dodgers, excuse me, the Astros will win it all still. Yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I'm tempted to 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 go with 
the uh, the Atlanta Braves. Um, I know you would love that EJ personally. Oh no, uh, not at all. <laughs> uh, the Atlanta Braves win the World Series. Uh, I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, if I was filling out a March Madness bracket, uh, which you know, Look, I hate I hate I, the I hate the Mets. I hate me not hate the Mets. I hate the Braves and the Dodgers. I think the, both those teams, I think, turned the, turn the lights out in this Mets season. That stretch where the Mets went 1-4 one and one and, four, uh, and the Brewers won all five games in that stretch, that's, that was the difference between the Mets making the playoffs or not, basically. You know, the, the Mets had a, a six-game stretch against two elite teams, and uh, those teams handled their business, and the Mets were at home. So I don't have love for any of those two teams at all. But, of course, if the Braves got in, yeah, that would be a disaster. For Mets fans, fun fact: <laughs> I didn't realize Ron Washington is the third base coach for the Atlanta Braves. I had no idea that either. <laughs> <laughs> so just for that, you know, Braves winning it all. Man. <laughs> Uncle Ron Washington. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I tell you what, though, you know how lit it's gonna be though, seeing Uncle Ron waving everybody home. Oh yeah, you know, you know, he ain't putting a stop sign up. He's waving everybody. No He's waving everybody home. And uh, and if the Atlanta fans actually decide to show up to these games, um, if that's an electric, uh, an electric, you know, situation, that would that would be really fun. Oh, this is really <laughs> random, but like, so who I'm watching this baseball game, obviously. Uh, you know, it looks like the Rays are in really good shape, but of course. I yes. say that, and now that now by the time this podcast airs, the uh, the A's will then win. Um, but I just saw there's a new Jared Goff Sports Center commercial, and he's sitting next to uh, a mascot that's that looks like a a tide. It's well, they, they're called the Tides. It's a college basketball team. Who is that? They're called the Tides. Yeah, well, at least uh, that was oh. in the jersey. Is that Pepperdine? No, right? They're the Torinos or whatever. No, or is it Pepperdine? Pepperdine is the waves, I believe. Yeah, so that's who it is. I guess that maybe they maybe they maybe they were maybe they're like the jersey says tides. I mean it could have said waves, I don't know. There is a team that's that's the tide. Who I mean there I know there's a it was it was a mascot. Yeah, it was a mascot. He was sitting next to Jared Goff. And I'm like, this is a pretty obscure mascot to put in the sports <laughs> to put in the, the sports center commercial. Isn't there a minor league baseball team called the Tides? Oh no, it is the Waves. I'm lying. So yeah, it's got you Pepperdine. It's the wave. There's also the green wave of two lanes. I don't know. No, this guy was blue. So blue, yes, yeah. yeah. Pepperdine getting in the sports center curse. See that what, makes sense because see what Gonzaga is done for uh, LA or LA Rams Malibu. See what uh, see what uh, see what the Gonzaga's done for the West Coast Conference. Pepperdine, oh, yeah. Pepperdine's getting in sports center commercials now. You're welcome. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I, I sent you that list of the, the the recruits that are visiting Gonzaga this this week, or yeah, this week. So I meant to you send know. you. I meant to send you an article. Yes, and it's lit, by the way, to answer Kendall's you know statement there. Yeah, I always ask EJ. I'm like, how does it feel now to to be in the to be in the business of college basketball? I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Look, Gonzaga's you running know. a great program, and kids are paying attention to it. But what I will uh, say, what I will say is, I saw an article. Uh, Sports Illustrated actually did a really cool article. Where they did a Basically, a fantasy draft of college basketball coaches, and oh, wow. guess who went number one? Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, Mark Few. 
Oh man, Dana, I love Mark Few. Dana O'Neill dra- drafted Mark Few with the number one overall pick. Shout out to Dana O'Neill. I think it was yeah. Dana O'Neill. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was her. She's at SI now, right? Uh, she's actually with the Athletic, I believe. So maybe it wasn't Dana. She could have been. Oh no, it was the Athletic. It was an Athletic article. Uh, I said SI. They have a they have a similar interface, so that always throws me off. Yeah, it was, it was the Athletic. To be SI, so. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely the Athletic. So shout out to the Athletic. I just gave Sports Illustrated a plug for no reason, um, which all y'all subscribe to, by the way. Uh, not to give them more commercial, but are you subscribed to the Athletic? I am. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, I think uh, they they have a their uh, whoever does their Miami stuff is fantastic. Their Miami beat writer, who I can't remember his name at the moment, so forgive me. But uh, the Athletic's doing great work, and shout out to David Aldridge. Um, who's been really kind of leading their, that group. I actually spoke to him about stuff they've done when I was in Miami for NABJ. And, uh, yeah, they're doing they're doing awesome stuff. So they deserve uh, everything they're getting right now. But, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this is, uh, this is going to be a really fun, really fun baseball postseason. Not a whole lot of brand-name franchises, but should still – on brand name players, especially, but because well, you don't have the Cubs, who just fired obviously Joe Madden, you don't have the Red Sox, uh, no Mike Trout, Christian Ellis got hurt. Like a lot of a lot of major players and brands that are not involved this year. But uh, regardless, I wonder still, how much that could hurt. That will hurt these postseason ratings. I think it will. I think it will too because I don't feel I felt like Who last to watch? I felt like last year there was a lot of excitement for the postseason that's not there this year. Yeah, like you know, I mean, but last year with the Yankees and the Red Sox, so yeah, Major League Baseball like they wanted the Red Sox in, they wanted the Cubs in, they wanted the Phillies. Like they they needed those teams to make it, but yeah, I mean, now they got no, they got now they got the A's in uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, I mean, in a wild card game where they're they're gonna, probably going to struggle to beat wrestling tonight. Seriously, yeah, it, it, AEW, uh, yeah, wrestling not even WWE, AEW and NXT on tonight. They, I don't know what this number is going to be for this wild card game. Seriously, um, let's move on to the NFL though, Kendall. So, uh, Vontez Burfick, the Oakland Raiders linebacker, is done for the season. He has been suspended uh, for a helmet to helmet hit. On Jack Doyle, the coach, he is a repeat offender, hence the lengthy season-long suspension. Um, Throughout his career, he's been suspended three times. He's also been fined 11 times. So that was uh, the NFL's rationale behind uh, just banning him for the rest of the year. He is expected to appeal. Uh, Raiders coach John Gruden said he was not happy at all about the suspension. And he's looking forward to see what happens in that appeals process. Kendall, do you think the league got it right by just kicking, uh, kicking uh, Burfitt to the to the curb? I, I've I, this is a tough one for me, and it's, it hasn't been a tough one for a lot of people. I, the consensus I've seen has been good riddance. Should be the last time this guy steps on a field. The guy, the Vontae Burfitt is an awful human being. I've heard the the whole nine yards and. For the most part, I understand the the negative energy surrounding or going, you know, towards Vontez Burfecht. Um But at the same time, when I step back and I think, all right, like 
do I feel bad for Vontaze Perfect? Not necessarily because he was a repeat, repeat, repeat offender. He, he largely knew what he was doing. Um, so in that regard, I don't feel bad for him. But, I mean, this is the longest suspension that's ever been given for an on-field incident in NFL history. <laughs> and, like... That's someone uh, he's in a league of his own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he got suspended a whole year for one hit. <laughs> so, like, when I step back and think about that, I am like, Dad, that's, that's, that's excessive. So, I, I again, I go back and forth. I, I Part of me feels bad for Gruden and the Raiders, but then part of me, like, they knew exactly what they were signing up for. They knew exactly the risk they were running by bringing him in. They didn't do a good enough job coaching him not to do any of this stuff. And if they did, and he still did it, then he's just as crazy as Antonio Brown and all the other subordinates under the John Gruden era in Oakland, uh, or insubordinates, I should say. Um, so, I, so, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like so you, I go back and forth. Yeah, so you, so you think that perhaps they, they were too heavy-handed with this? I, 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 think, I think so. But then at, at the same time, like, with, I say that with the hindsight that, like, nobody got seriously, seriously hurt. Right. But, true. like, Burfitt could have, and he, what if he would have paralyzed the guy? Like, then I'd be like, look, yeah, that's a dirty hit. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's a repeat offender. Right. Probably should be banned from the league. So, like, it, it's it's one of those things where the league can't operate it themselves based off of the, the outcome. The average yeah. Based off what you did. Not yeah. How it out yeah i think that the end there i think is where you got to the point where i was gonna make and i agree i think that that's where we have to give the nfl actually some credit here and i'm gonna give them credit because i think that that was what they did which was smart because you gotta look at what perfect did and what could have happened because of what he did thank god doyle is fine for you know, like he didn't he doesn't seem to have any serious injury. He's going to be fine moving forward. But when you watch the play, perfect. Now I understand Doyle gets up. I understand you know Doyle is like kind of moving and therefore kind of becomes like a perfect. He he kind of he's a moving target, but he hits him perfectly in the head. But perfect lowers the crown of his head and leads with his head. Now was he aiming for his head? I don't know because I think that's something I've heard people argue in his favor of. But it doesn't matter because he's leaning with the crown of his head. And everybody who knows anything about football and what you're now not supposed to be doing, you're not supposed to be doing that even in the old days. Be leaning with the crown of your head. That's like, the first of all, you can injure yourself, let alone someone else. But it's a super dangerous play that he was doing. So it's kind of hard to really defend his actions at all. I mean, you know, so when the NFL is deciding, okay, we have this repeat offender who seems fine with playing recklessly that could in a way that could possibly injure himself or injure his opponents and we've told him if you keep doing this we're gonna have to really lay the hammer on you i just can't really feel that bad for him at this point you know i mean i don't want to see anybody lose a whole year's pay basically for one hit but it's not like the guy they didn't warn him repeatedly it's not like he made a play that couldn't have actually injured someone seriously because he could have. He absolutely could have concussed Doyle. He could have, as you said, paralyzed Doyle. You lean with the crown on your helmet, 
going that fast, only bad things can happen. Everyone's fortunate that nothing didn't happen. But the NFL, I did the did the right thing by not being reactionary to just the result and deciding, look what he's done, look what he's done in the past. We gotta do something about this. So, I think the suspension was 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 fine. I mean, I, to be honest, I I, I don't think I would have gave him a like a, a season long suspension. Like if I was in that position, it would have been a long suspension. It'd probably been like eight games or something. But I don't know if I would have yeah, gave him. That's probably what I would have done. I'd yeah. like, look, <laughs> I mean, eight games. Yeah, he would he would have got a really years. long suspension. Now this is, I guess, the equivalent now what twelve or eleven games or whatever. I yeah, I guess. I guess eleven games. Uh, this suspension would be. So, I mean, that's a long suspension too. I mean, it's only three more games, uh, but it, either way, it's going to be long. So I can't really go crazy if they went a little bit longer than I would have done. I think that that's fine. Um, I think the Raiders, though, and they've you know Gruden saying he's you know he's really upset by the, about the situation. I, I can't really feel that bad for them because they knew what they were getting. A guy like Vance is perfect. They had to know that if Perfect uh, got another strike against him, that whatever penalty he faced was going to be supremely severe. And the Raiders, uh, they ignored all that and made him a captain. So, I, I to me, uh, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. If you're going to empower a player like that with leadership and responsibility, and then you got to understand there's a risk that he could do something crazy because he's been doing crazy stuff his entire career. And he may be gone. So this is what happened. I can't feel that bad for Gruden, and I can't feel bad for the Raider organization. But moving on, Kendall, let's talk about college uh, sports. So we got a landmark uh, decision in South uh, in uh, California. I keep saying decision, but really it was a law passed, which is even makes it even more kind of crazy because usually these kind of scenarios you see happening with you know lawsuits and litigation, but actually uh, the state of California and their their uh, their legislators all got on the same page and passed a uh, a bill that was uh, then signed into law by the governor, Gavin Newsom. It will allow college athletes to make money for their likeness, name, or image. So this would be in effect in 2023. It means that all the California division, I think all the schools, I don't think just division one, I, I think any school, uh, they can no longer prohibit players from getting cash for their own likeness. Now, on the uh, the NCAA is you know obviously you know flipping tables and losing their you know their hairs on fire because of the situation which is predictable. Um, meanwhile, in Congress today, uh, uh, Anthony Gonzalez, who you'll remember as a, a wide receiver at Ohio State and for the Colts, um, he's now a Republican Ohio congressman and he's also introducing legislation. Yes, yes. Yes, fun fact. You guys Tony remember Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez? Yes, not the Tony oh, Gonzalez from the Chiefs, but the other Tony Gonzalez, uh, who played with Peyton Manning in the Colts. He uh, is introduced to legislation uh, that would uh, allow athletes to get endorsement money, and that would be obviously that's a federal law, so that would be um, something on the national level. There's already a law or a bill that was introduced by Mark Warner, who we I think we talked about Warner's bill last year, uh, which is in its beginning phases about. Um, it was similar to the California law, which would allow athletes to get money uh, for their likenesses. So now the NCAA apparently um, feels like they are they would prefer a federal law over, a, you know, a, a state law like California. They say is putting them in a bad situation. And in fact, 
the schools in California, the major schools, USC, California, uh, they, no, I say California, I mean Cal Berkeley, they really lobbied against this decision because now it puts their players' eligibility at stake for March Madness, for, uh, you know, obviously, you know, bowl games and the college football playoff. So, Kendall, this was a pretty big week when it comes to the uh, ever-changing landscape of college amateurism, and I use that in major quotation marks. Do you feel like we're at a watershed moment here? Uh, yeah. I mean, this clearly this clearly seems to be a, a turning point um, in college sports. You know, I feel like the NCAA is they're in a position now where they're going to have to adapt. Um, you know, California passed their law and like doesn't come into effect until twenty twenty three. But I mean, I think I read Florida is trying to do one as well, and there's. The one the bill they're proposing is is something that could come into effect next year, which put them ahead of the game. Um, like, so this is something that's not going to stop or not going to slow down, I should say. Nope. Um, <laughs> so, so someone joked that you know uh, now that California's going to let going to start uh, going to let uh, players start uh, getting paid. You just see all these schools become uh, University of California. Kentucky is going to be uh, going to become the University of California, Kentucky. University of California, Eugene. Uh, but uh, regardless, um, no, I mean this is certainly. I look, I, I, I mean, I, I, this certainly seems like positive news. You're getting a lot of coaches that have uh, they aren't commenting on this. You know, John Calipari came out and said, you know, I. I gotta read the bill. You know, I gotta do my research before I can answer. I'm like, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I, I don't blame the answer, but it's just, yeah. It's kind of. It's, I don't think it's that complicated of a, of, a, of a, you know, of a proposal. But regardless, um, you know, I, I. I mean, I do feel like this is seems to be a positive step. Uh, the question is just going to be, you know, what is this? What will be the response from the NCAA? Will the NCAA welcome it with open arms? Probably not. Uh, I mean, they haven't up to this point. But will they change their stance and start to, uh, you know, work around this rule in some way that uh, where they can still kind of maintain their their system while adapting to the fact these players can, you know, use this Olympic model and have agents and stuff. I mean, this is the one, th- this is the thing that I've always proposed. <laughs> you know, I said, it yeah, the you, have. Time. you know, like, I don't like, I don't care about players getting a salary or a stipend. Like, I mean, those things should eventually happen, but like, that's not like that. I don't think that that's urgent, but I always felt the fact that guys can't like, you know, get endorsement deals off their own thing. Like that's the easiest thing where it's like, if you want to end any, like, discussion about your college sports and, and slavery, this, that, and the other thing. Let guys do that. But then then they could literally market and make money, you know, versus what their value is. Like, versus their own value. Their own value. Now, of course, there is added value to, to the university that they give that they're not being compensated for, but they can at least be compensated off of their own personal value to other companies outside of the university. Mm-hmm. So, that is something that I feel like it's something that's so easy to implement. There is no, you know, 
favoritism towards certain sports. There is no favor. I mean, of course, basketball and football players will be uh, benefited the most by this, but there is no inherent uh, favoritism. There is no inherent, um, you know, situation where oh, it's equal, but it shouldn't be. Like it's it's free for all. Um, if you're worth this, and someone's willing to pay you this, uh, you can have it. I, there is going to be that question for me in basketball and in football to a degree as well. Like, what happens to, like, because the sneaker companies are so important in basketball and probably in football as well, what happens to, like, you know, are guys able to get endorsement deals from sneaker companies and apparel companies? Because the guy signs with Nike, does that mean that he's only going to go to a Nike school? And then it's kind of the system that we have now anyway. Right. But, it just becomes even more now contracts are being involved, you know, and that's where it gets murky. Um, so like, that's where you know NCA will have to will have to kind of organize that kind of stuff. But I mean, a guy doing a commercial for Gatorade, there's no reason why, you know, Trevor Lawrence shouldn't be able to be on a Gatorade commercial. Yeah, no reason. It had nothing to do. Or with yeah, or to be on a video game or anything like that. Yeah, like, exactly. the video game is does Honestly, not do this, this is the biggest. Uh, this is the biggest, you know, plus about this whole situation is that I think that this accelerates the the chance that we get a college sports game in the, <laughs> year, in the next well, two, three years. That's in uh, that's in Kendall's uh, selfish mind that that's the biggest thing. I think the biggest thing is that the corruption ends in college sports. But yes, that is a great. <laughs> I am uh, not a. I am not a. <laughs> A college athlete, so for me personally, my, again, myself, is, <laughs> this is the biggest plus. Yes, I, I, I always think the biggest plus being the 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 uh, the crooks in the NCA uh, actually uh, finally getting what they deserve with this. I, I gotta say, I, I'm shocked that this move just happened so swiftly and so easily and, and such bipartisan support. I mean, one of the you know the. You know, the Republican who's the vice chair of the committee that was like involved with this was very adamant about how, like, yeah, we got to stop this. Like, and, you know, it just surprises me because the, the colleges um, have been able to, uh, you know, game the system with in so many aspects where you would think that their lobbying efforts would work on politicians, especially politicians that, you know, you know, have you know a lot of ties to a lot of these schools, especially considering it's in California. These are California state legislatures, leaders, and it's as you said. You talk about Florida, kind of looking at a rule. I I think that this will one hundred percent be a model for these other states to start looking at and saying, well, what can we do for our college athletes to get more, you know more attention, more uh more you know top athletes to come to our schools in our state. And this is going to be a snowball. I, I think that this is um, the beginning of the end of the NCAA as we know it. I, I just think that, uh, you know, maybe the NCAA will end up, you know, still be the governing body of college sports. But this idea that they can just, you know, levy crazy punishments against kids who take, you know, $1,000 or $2,000. I don't care, $100,000, whatever. Like, I, I think that we are in a position where I just think enough people are aware of the corruption that it doesn't matter how much money and you know, lobby, you know, lobby, you know, you know, lobbyists are going to be 
paid to to go into these state houses to to make their case. It's just it's like I just think it's a toxic is a political toxic stance to take that the kids should get no money and that these schools and the NCAA should just keep making billions of dollars. I, it's not going to lose you an election, but I just think that like it's so ridiculous at this point that no one's going to take that stance really. Um, and that's you know if you're a Democrat, you're probably concerned about uh, you know you know civil rights violations, and I'm sure Republicans are upset about free market uh, violations in that situation. So it's just not there's no there's no real benefit to it from either side as to why they would support the colleges and the NCAA in this situation. And that's why uh, this is going to be kaput. Um, Kendall says a two to three year window he's looking at. I don't know if it's two to three, but it's soon. It's soon. I I think within five is, is probably what I would say. I'd say I think in five years, kids will be getting paid. In some I mean, it, like you mean by the NCAA? I don't know if it's by the NCAA. I don't know how it's going to be happening. I'm just saying because the the, the law the law is saying 2023. Well, that is, well, yeah, that is five years actually. Yo, this time and is flying. So that's four years. So and we're almost in 2020, honestly. But but that you know, well, well but, okay. But so when I so when I say so when to... I so when I say five years, I mean around. I mean this law is for only California. I'm saying within five years, the entire country guys be getting paid something. And that's the thing, like. If California is doing this, everyone's got to do it. This is going to be a federal thing. Because either that or, like, California is going to have to secede from the NCAA because too, it creates too much of an imbalance, a competitive imbalance, if you let California pay players and no one else. So, I mean, NCAA um, is saying they're going to sue, basically. I mean, that's what they're hinting at. I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, know, on, idea I don't know out, on what grounds. When this idea first came about, they just said, you know, we're not going to let you guys do that. Yeah. Like you guys can, you guys can do whatever you want, but then you guys are going to get penalized. Yeah, you know. And I don't. And then at that point, the NCAA looks bad. And, you know, I don't know if they can do that, but um, or so that's when people are like, well, in California, schools may not be in the NCAA that much longer. But can they? But that's it's not going to get to that point. That's too excessive. No, there's no way USC and UCLA and Cal are just not going to be. I agree. There will be something that's going to happen. So, yeah. So, so with you obviously illustrating that, it's going to be less than five years. I think by the time this thing pulls a hit, everybody's going to be getting paid. So, that's within four years. Uh, the only reason why, at two, I don't know if it's going to be two because there's so much work that has to be done uh, to get there still. And this play, this you know, this fight has got to go to the legal system. And as we've seen, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have learned about our legal system, which is great, though I think it obviously has been a lot of uh, kind of chaotic situations and why we've been learning about the legal system. All it takes is one judge to be like, yeah, no, this little law is unconstitutional. you got to stop it. And then it becomes, okay, we got to go to appeals jail court, and then we got to go to the Supreme, the Supreme Court. And as we've seen, you know, that could take a while. I don't know if the Supreme Court is going to be willing to say... I want to, you know, we're going to make college sports, you know, something quick on our agenda. There's some Supreme Court cases that they take months and months, I think maybe even years sometimes to even get to just because it's not something that they see as like a, a high priority. So um, I, I 
they seem to like these kind of like high profile cases. So I, I would think that they would make this a more quick decision situation, but you never know. And with these judges, who's to say that one decides, hey, I, I, I think that this is ridiculous and then that could uh be a setback. I think I still think that they will in the end, kids will still be getting paid. But that's one reason why I don't I hedge my bets on two to three years because NCAA has a lot of money at stake and they're gonna fight to the death because it's all they got. It's all they got. It's a corruption. All they got is their billions of dollars. They're not gonna give it up easy. So that's why I I, I hedge. But I think we're in for a new day and that makes me really excited. Staying with college sports, Kendall. Um, let's do a quick check in on the college football season. So um, we haven't had any super major upsets yet. I think everything's been kind of chalk for the majority of this season. Um, we have had some close. We had at least one very close scare this past weekend with Clemson battling uh, North Carolina to the very end, uh, stopping Matt two, Brown, stopping oh, a two-point conversion. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Mac Brown real quick. I mean, I, I heard some people talking about Mac Brown will be a name to watch when big jobs come up this offseason. USC, Michigan, whatever, whatever else potentially could come up. I mean, I've seen, I've now seen basically two full North Carolina games because obviously they played Miami earlier in the year, and I watched the game against Clemson. Uh, I don't know what happened in that Wake Forest game and that other game they lost, uh, but they, they, in those two games that I watched, that one was a win, one was a very close loss. They're very well coached, and it's crazy for a team that won like two games last year. Yeah, how. Well, coach, they are. How disappointing! I saw someone say like this: either Mac Brown is a legend, or Fedora was really that bad. I mean, it, I, I, I feel like it's an indictment on Fedora, which is crazy because I've always, I kind of looked at Fedora in pretty high regard. Um, yeah, I always, I never liked playing his teams. So. Yeah, I know. That's why when I, and I actually went down to South Beach to watch Miami play against North Carolina last year. And I was I, I told I texted you during the game. I was like, I, I can't believe how you know, poor poorly coached this team is. Like I could see they had some talent. They just they were just penalties, stupid turnovers, just complete incompetence on all levels. And a lot of it was stemmed from coaching, clearly. It was just surprising because I, I, I Fedora I think he knows football. I think he's a good coach. I don't know how it got so bad. I, it seems they look like a team to me that like they just got a competent leader who put a good staff together, and now they're they're a competitive team. They're the greatest so team would, in the world, but I, I think a lot of it is on Fedora. So you would tell uh, the, the the college football world to slow down a little bit on the the Mac Brown. I would. I think. I think that. I think that I would slow down. Um, Max is doing a great job. I'm not going to take that away from him, but in terms of I'm going to hand my keys to my, you know, struggling major, major blue blood blue job to Mac at this point in his career. No, I think Mac is at the perfect place where he's at right now. A team that's, uh, that has the potential to be much better than it's been. And in a state that has some football talent, low low expectations and, I think a lot, a big part of this too is them guys are just playing harder and just playing more like a team than they they've had in the past too. I think I think they quit on Fedora. I think that was a big part of it too. Like Fedora, I don't think was coaching that great, but them players I think just rolled over. 
There's no way Akeem should have won two games last year. That that made no there's, sense. There's also buzz that uh, <laughs> Philip Fulmer, who's the AD at Tennessee, is seeing what's happening with Mac Brown and Les Miles, and he's thinking about taking over uh, the Tennessee coaching job full time. I always felt like when he got that AD job that we were leading to that. They said if they fired Jeremy Pruitt, which they probably will since they're like one and three, I think. But um, if it does come to that, that he's going to be the next guy. Yeah. And like you mentioned those two guys. The other guy I would throw in there is Bill Snyder, who also did it. No, I don't don't know if he's anymore. I'm saying he came. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm saying in terms of like recent stories right, yeah. of older coaches coming back and doing a decent job. He also came back and did a decent job at K-State in the second go-around. Um, yeah. And wasn't he also the AD, too? Or am I making that up? I don't think he was the AD, okay. but he he he, he, yeah, it was, he left. He retired. He did retire out. and then came back. And he did a decent job in his time back. And I think he, you know, I don't think the program's going anywhere. They seem to only be doing anything when he's there, but he put them on the right track. Whatever they do with that is now on them. But I, I think that I, I think Fulmer call me crazy. I think he should be the next coach. I think I, he, say, I don't know. The first call, if I'm Phil Fulmer, has to be to Peyton Manning. But of course, I think we both Peyton Manning, that. Like, I don't want to coach. Then I think yeah. it's got to be Fulmer. I, I just think that we've seen them go through the same. I would go through. I would look at David Cutcliffe as well. Which is like, but uh, a didn't get it done in Ole Miss. Like I, I just feel like I've seen them do the same thing. Where like Cutcliffe will be a little different because Cutcliffe has actually coached in the SEC. His, again, his success was mixed at best. But I, I seem to do the same thing where it's like get a hot assistant or a coach from a smaller school who's never coached in this big time, and they think and think that like that guy. Uh, is going to turn things around. I, David they, Cuff to, to Tennessee feels too much like Tully Smith to Memphis to me, man. It's like, you're going to get that job, he's just going to mail it. Well, the only difference is that Cutcliffe has real, real ties to that program. Like, he has ties to the program, right? Like, like, like Tubby was just like, yeah, that was just a he retirement job. He was just an outsider who just took a job that had a name because there was nothing else to do. But I just feel like, you know, Tubby's <laughs> success at Texas Tech and cut close success, success at Duke, where it's like they're not really that good, but like it's a, such a small program that's like any success is like impressive, and they have like the track record in the region and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. but I don't know. Those are just some interesting things that have been talked about. It, uh, but Clemson, in their own right, has struggled. And and I'll also say this by saying I'll also continue by saying I don't think they should fire Jeremy Pruitt after one year. Yeah, is this his second year? I believe it's this is his second year. Bush Jones wasn't coaching him last year. I mean, uh, that's a good question. It, Tennessee is so irrelevant. <laughs> it's crazy. Like it's it's crazy how you're right. How just irrelevant Tennessee has been at this point. But it has been this way now since Fulmer left. At least since Fulmer left, they were irrelevant when Fulmer was also coaching the team. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, this is the second year. This is the second year, you said? Oh, I said since 2017, so it might be the third year. I don't know. Jeremy Pruitt's been there for three years? Yeah, I think he's going into maybe his third year. Wow, I'm like, this thing is like... It, again, they're just... They're a dead program. 
So that's why we there's, there's no reason why Tennessee like they're better in basketball now than they are in football. There's there's no no reason for that. No. There is this is third year. I mean, Memphis is better at, at at football right now than Tennessee. That's like not even a debate. No, it's not. Yeah, I take that like, back. This is the top like fifteen team right now. Yeah, I'll I'll rephrase that then. No, Peru's got to go. It, the way this is going, he's got to go. Three years is enough. They they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it, he, they're so bad. I thought he was in his first year still. <laughs> exactly. Right? I was like, "Yo, man, how are you gonna do him?" Neither, neither Jones is playing. Yeah, give, give him some time, man. Bruce Jones, he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> like, yo, this is third Let him year. Get his talent. I'm like, oh, this is, these are his guys. This is his third year. Like, nah, nah, we can't do that. They got, they got to move on. Yeah, Tennessee is like a, it's like a, it's such a conundrum. It's such a crazy conundrum. I actually went on a, a big spiel about Tennessee about three weeks ago, talking to my girlfriend about. Tennessee after they lost to Appalachian, I think they lost to Appalachian State. Uh oh, or just Georgia State, yeah, that's what it was. Appalachian State beat someone else. Appalachian State beat North Carolina actually. Um right. uh no, no, after they beat Georgia State. I lost to Georgia State rather. And I was talking I was talking like it's such a conundrum because like it's a school that has massive it has massive expectation because of what they've done in the past for extended periods of time. But there aren't really any players in Tennessee. So no. if you can't recruit, you're just kind of toast. And you're, pl- you're and they're coaching in an era where guys are going back to Notre Dame now. So the Midwest guys aren't going there. Ohio State is a force. And in the South, Alabama is a force. So yeah. they, they they like they just they just kind of are stuck, and Georgia is a force now. So I I would never take that job if I was a head coach. I think it's one of the worst jobs in college college football as we've seen. I think, and I think some people, you know, Tennessee fans may get upset about that, but is it not obvious? We've seen now four guys like try to do the same thing, all fail: Dooley, uh, Kiffin, Dave uh, uh, Jones. And now, uh, improve it. And there's really like no reason why. I mean, see the the, the common denominator with pretty much all of guys is that like they're not really good football coaches. And I'm not. That's not even to disrespect them because I think they're all like they all had their their appeal. But like X's and O's. Like I mean, Kiffin's a good offensive coach, but like I don't look at any of those guys and say like like Kiffin. We have a great coaching advantage because this guy's our head coach. Right, exactly. Right. I like, agree with you on that. The name that people have thrown out there that would have given them that is, is Mike Leach. Mm-hmm. Like, if they hired Mike Leach and that and this thing didn't work, I'd be like, I don't know what to tell you. Mike Leach is an excellent football coach. He's a, and he's to a, be honest, idiot. you make a good point because to be honest, if, if recruiting is going to be so difficult, and to be fair, it's not like these guys are recruiting bums. Like all no, those guys that's named, SEC, you're always going to get a top. Yeah, class. they've been getting top twenty five classes all those years. There's no reason for them to be this bad. I think if the recruiting though is not going to be top ten, top five, which it hasn't been in Tennessee, even though it's been in the past. I think a guy like Mike Leach, someone of that, if it's not going to be someone like Fomer, like I, I would say, just go back to the last guy that was successful and just see, just see if he can figure it out. But if it's not going to be something like that. 
then I do think that I agree. The next guy they got to get has got to be a guy who we look at and say, this guy's one of the, the absolute best coaches in the NFL and in college football. And not recruiting, not, oh, he's on the rise, or not, we think he could really up to the hype. I want the best X's and O game management coaching. You need a guy who can coach. You need a guy who can coach up the guys that you got. Yeah, can motivate them. Yeah, you got like yeah. like Alabama and, and LSU in these school at Georgia. They ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so so like this yeah. idea that like you're gonna like you're gonna build up to something. You need to just get the the guys that you have. They need to be able to compete against those schools. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is by getting a, a, a elite X's and O's coach. You're not going to get it by getting these decent guys who you think, well, maybe they can make some inroads in recruiting. They can't. They can't. <laughs> not with the way Tennessee is right now. Look, and, and I'm they not going to... They got to win first for anyone who's going to go there. I, I was... I know a lot of people, it was a huge controversy when they had their job open the last time, but I was one of the, the few people that felt that they should have just that they should have just given given the job to Greg Schiano and just let it just, just see what would have happened because I think he's a very good football coach, but um, obviously there's a lot of PR reasons why they couldn't do that and why they they went, they went against that. But um, this this is like when I when I saw they were going to Jeremy Jeremy Pruitt, I was like, I mean, I mean, you're not gonna win. I mean, this is a very much a, a we're just gonna go to the next guy on the list that we don't really want. Um, Greg Schiano, by the way, uh, from what I've heard in football circles, is, uh, a, is, a, is a, probably going to go back to Rutgers. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> Yo, Rutgers football. Fam. You want to talk about mess. And you want to talk about going back to the last person that had it good? <laughs> Yo, the recent examples have not turned out that bad. Like, the recent example, if it's not a guy who was used to coach your school, if going to, like, an older dude who has had success, you could even go to Lute Olsen coaching at South Carolina. I mean, or Steve Spurrier coaching at South Carolina, even. Like, yeah. Like, those guys know how to coach football. They know how to run a, an organization. And these schools are organizations. These are these organizations. And, like, that little bit is important because maybe you're not saying, okay, this guy is not going to be the guy, you know, calling the Philly Philly in, in a Super Bowl kind of X and O's guy. But he's the guy that's going to hire the guy who can make that call. <laughs> like, he's going to put the coaching staff and put the infrastructure in place to be respectable. They keep hiring these first-year coaches or guys who haven't done it on the the the, the, uh, the, the big scale, and it's just not working. I, I, I don't – I think that if you're if Rutgers, Tennessee, just go back to your old ways and see what happens. You can't – you have nothing to lose at this point. Both of those schools have embarrassed themselves with how they've performed over the last since Rutgers since they entered the Big Ten, Tennessee since uh, since um, Fulmer left. So you might as well just say, "All right, well, we had a a a plan of success at one point that was working. Let's see if we can go back to that. And, and if we're not, then we got to try something else. But what they're doing right now ain't working. Anyway, real quickly, Kendall." Um, who is your top four of these teams that we have uh, in the college playoff right now? We got Alabama. Uh, they're at one. Um, who's at two? Uh, Clemson's at two. Georgia, three. Uh, then depending on which poll you have, I think one poll has uh, LSU at four. Another poll, I think, has Ohio State at four. 
Who are your top four teams? Uh, my top four teams are I have Alabama at one. Uh, that 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 performance by Devontae Smith. Not oh my god! Sweet. I mean, what do you have? Six touchdowns? Yeah, it was crazy. He had like two hundred something yards. Yeah, I mean that was one of the most impressive. I think it was, I want to say it might it may have been six. At the very least, it was five. But one of the most impressive wide receivers. Alabama's at one. They haven't really played anybody that great, so I can't lose my mind over their performances. But um, that that's kind of that's to be expected right now with this, this Nick Saban thing. Nick Saban, I could have made him trash, but he had this big he had this press conference a couple weeks ago where he was talking about you know the schedule. He was like, "Don't come to me talking about the schedule. I, I they have, it's not my call. It's the athletic director, basically." And I'm like, <laughs> Nick Saban, come on now. I mean, how, how much are they paying you? You really think that if you wanted a certain team on the schedule, if you wanted to make a change to the schedule, that the athletic director isn't working for you on some level? Yeah, I love I love when like the the you know the almighty god of the you know college football coach at a school where they've been winning all of a sudden acts like they have no control over a situation. Yeah, like, talk to my boss. That's like, it happens with, like, whenever they're in trouble with uh, sanctions or, you know, violations or in situations where they get called to the carpet about scheduling. It's, it always, in every other situation, they're always like, the buck stops with me. I run this program. I run this ish. And <laughs> as soon as something uh, negative, they're like, hey, man, talk to my boss. I just work here. This <laughs> is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I had to, I had to, I had to call Alex Saban a little bit, uh, even though he obviously is a legendary top five, probably coach of all time. You know, with all sports. Of course. But re- regardless, um, number two, I've got uh, Ohio State. Uh, I think Ohio State. I, I had Ohio State as a preseason uh, national, I believe, national runner-up. I think I had Alabama winning, but I had Ohio State in the national championship game, uh, and I think they right now. Are looking pretty much exactly how I expected. Uh, Justin Fields is a guy I've, I've said for the longest time. You know, people were talking a lot about Trevor Lawrence. You know, they had a lot of energy towards Trevor Lawrence, and I, I, I like Trevor Lawrence as a prospect. But I just I, I had to remind people that Justin Fields still existed, and I'm glad that he has reminded people that this is not a done deal about who's going to be the number one pick in 2021. Uh, the kid is obviously a special player, but this Ohio State team in general is, is, is loaded. I mean, they have you know Chase Young on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they I mean they have multiple first round picks on on the defensive side of the ball. But um, yeah, now this team, J.K. Dobbins had an excellent season. This is a very very good football team, and they've just demolished every opponent they've had. So I I think they're the second best team in the country right now. Uh, at three, I would have uh, three is tough. I, I, I think I would go with Oklahoma, who also have looked excellent. Obviously, Jalen Hurts has had an excellent season, and you know that offense looks just as explosive as they have the last two seasons with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts looks like it's such an improved passer. I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a guy look so much better from one season to the next in a facet of their game than I have with Jalen Hurts, uh, especially coming from going into a new system. So 
honestly, Lincoln Riley, I've heard this now, it became more evident this weekend, but Lincoln Riley is like, he's going to command $100 million from NFL teams. I don't know who's going to be. A hundred million dollars? I mean, he's going to get the Gruden contract. Yeah, whoever does that is crazy. I'll it say it. It sounds crazy, but at the same time, Cliff Kingsbury won four games and got like a college, and got fired and got an NFL job. <laughs> so, so on that on that scale, <laughs> this guy is like, Cliff Kingsbury times like a hundred. Well, I, I mean, look, God rest uh, Mr. Bidwell's soul, who he passed away. But uh, I'm not going to base what I do, my franchise, based on anything that's happening in Arizona. Man, you're, I'll put it that way. You're a Jets fan. The Jets interviewed Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, I wouldn't put anything the Jets do <laughs> and put it on my franchise either, <laughs> man. That is your franchise. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about other teams. I'm not, I'm not talking about me. I'm saying if I'm running a franchise, I ain't looking right. what Arizona did and thinking, well, they got that guy. Well, we got to back out the Brinks truck for what's the name. No, they probably shouldn't have gotten the guy they got. <laughs> That's that's yeah. that's what I would say about that. Yeah, no, but yeah, Riley is gonna be. I mean, I would if I'm making a bold prediction, my expectation is that he will be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys when that job opens up. But um, oh man, he might be the next coach of the Jets with the way Gates is going, man. <laughs> yeah, this guy I, Gates, I can't. I, I already can't stand this guy. I, I look, I told I told you at the time when they hired Adam Gates. I didn't like the move either. Uh, like the guy is the guy is he's a, he's a a strange guy you know I mean like he's not an impressive he doesn't have an impressive track record it's just it's just a weird move you know I would much rather have Mike McCarthy but they were very stuck on the we want Greg Williams <laughs> for whatever reason they really wanted Greg Williams so uh, they got their guy and then at uh but at number four. Um, I'll go with Clemson. You know, I think this Clemson team will. I think they're going to get clipped this year. I just have that feeling that they just don't look right. You know, it's they it's, Lawrence has kind of struggled for most of the season. He, and when I say struggled, like his numbers are still really good. Like he hasn't been terrible, but struggled based off the standard of you know the guy that lit Alabama on fire and uh, the guy that was the consensus next Peyton Manning. You know, last all all season, he hasn't been he hasn't played to that standard, so he struggled. But I feel like he'll turn it up. But I don't think that this will. I don't think they'll go this season unscathed. So uh, I would certainly put push on borderline push the panic button because they probably should have lost that game against North Carolina. So I would push the panic button if I were going to this point. Um. So my my top four teams number one. I'm going Alabama. Uh, they they've. They, no, they're Alabama. <laughs> He's not really more, uh, what's to say? Uh, Tua has looked strong. Um, the running game has looked strong. The defense is as dominant as it's always been. Um, I agree. I thought that the the performance we saw from uh, from Devonte Smith. I mean, we've been talking about Judy all season, all off season, and for good reason. But I mean, again, five touchdowns, two hundred seventy four yards. I mean, that's straight up. Madden stats like that does not happen in real college football. It definitely don't happen against a conference opponent. <laughs> I don't care if the conference is the worst conference opponent. And Ole Miss is like not great, but I mean, I only I did not expect they would give up five touchdowns to one receiver in two hundred seventy four yards. Alabama's in the league of their own right right now. Um, but as we as we've seen as we've seen in past seasons that we saw last year, 
as the season goes on, sometimes the competition starts to catch up. So I don't want to say that they're just far and away better than everybody, but right now I think that they are the best team. Uh, number two, I'm going to stay with Clemson. Uh, I know there's a read that people want to jump off the Clemson ship after what they saw against North Carolina, but I would caution people to say, while that's last week wasn't a great game in terms of how they played, North Carolina is well-coached, and they have some talent, and uh, their defense is pretty good. As someone who's watched their defense play, uh, they did not look good, obviously, against Wake Forest Appalachian, but um, for the most part, they don't really give a lot of big plays. So I wasn't I wasn't super shocked that game was – I didn't think it would be a one-point game, but I, I thought North Carolina would compete a little bit, and they play hard for Mac. They did, however, in week two, uh, dominate Texas A&M and SEC team. So I don't want to overreact to one game where maybe they underachieved a little bit when, you know, just two weeks ago they looked like world beaters, beating Texas A&M 24-10, beating Syracuse 41-6. I think Clemson's fine. I I don't want to overreact to this one game. So I'm sticking at Clemson number two. Uh, Number three, uh, this is tough. I'm going to go with Ohio State uh, on the strength of fields. He's been uh, just majestic. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, whatever you hoped Fields would be, if you're an Ohio State fan, he's pretty much been all that and more. Um, he's been absolutely shredding every opponent that they face. He looks like one of the top quarterbacks in the country, which is what uh, he was billed as coming into uh, his freshman year last year, and now we're seeing it in his sophomore year. 16 touchdowns, zero interceptions. His completion percentage is near 70%. I mean, he's he's just he's dealing. He's dealing. Yeah, he's absolutely dealing. His QB rating, his college QB rating is one ninety four, and that's just it's stupid. Absurd. Yeah. The only the only question you have with Fields is, and it's kind of the question that we we've had with Tua, like pretty much last year, I would say, is how does he react to adversity? And Tua struggled first real. Adversity, he came. Yeah, he was also injured, but the first real adversity he faced, he kind of, I would say, crumbled, but he, he struggled with it. He's got to get tested. He's got to get tested this week. What's up? He's got to get tested this week, Michigan State. Yeah, Coming yeah it, the it should be the first test. I, I feel Ohio State, they, I think they are one of those programs now that, like, they're so far ahead of everybody that, I mean, I hope Michigan State can test, but. I feel like it's not going to be close. I mean, Nebraska should have been in the test. Nebraska, I know. Well, know I'll, like get to, I'll get to Nebraska in a second, but yeah. Oh, a huge spot for Nebraska, and they just completely went to that. But, yeah, nah. But I mean, who's, uh, who's your number 14? Uh, and my number 14, oh, I'm torn here. I, I'm torn because you know I have a sore spot for Georgia, and I love how they played against Notre Dame and the grit that they showed. But I'm gonna give the edge to LSU. I'm gonna give a slight edge to LSU. I gotta admit, I'm really excited about this LSU team. Um, ironically, in a year where I think that they actually have real offensive football in Baton Rouge to be excited about, and they can really light up teams, the defense is not great. <laughs> I don't know how many years in a row they've had fantastic defenses. And look, they, all their defensive players went to the NFL, so is for a good reason why they maybe are struggling early on. But that that's the fact that they they're playing so strong offensively, 
and that I think the defense you expect to, to come around. I just think I think that both those teams, Georgia and uh, and LSU, both had I think pretty equal competition when it comes to their best non-conference tests. LSU played uh, uh, Notre Dame at home. Georgia played no, sorry, LSU played Texas on the road. Georgia played Notre Dame at home. If I'm matching those two games, I, I would say I was a little more impressed with LSU going on the road against Texas, putting up 45, and uh, and, and you know Burrow just just looking just like a stud. I was yeah. a little more impressed with LSU than I was with Georgia, and I, and I was not unimpressed with Georgia. I thought Georgia, I I, I you know some people like love just the 40 point, 50 point games. I like to see them grind in a game against a physically tough team that was come that came to play, but. Notre Dame just didn't present the explosive play challenges in that game. It didn't give them a chance. You know, once Georgia made a couple of plays, Notre Dame just didn't have the firepower against that team to to answer. So, whereas LSU played against team that had plenty of firepower, and they showed that they could still keep getting up and giving it out. So, I'm going to give a slight edge to LSU at number four. It's splitting hairs. I like both teams, and... I think LSU will be a formidable test for Alabama when they play. And I think if Alabama plays Georgia in the SEC championship game, that will also be a formidable test. This is why uh, I don't know if Alabama goes as unscathed as they've been in the past. I don't know if they get to the college football playoff because of those two games that they will likely have in their schedule. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like I'm really living in a, in, a, in a bizarre world seeing LSU with a dynamic order. They're lighting it up. I can't believe this. I've just I've never seen it in my life. <laughs> I mean, since I've been watching college football. Wait, you don't think Jamarcus Russell was uh, lighting it up? Jamarcus <laughs> Russell's the closest thing. Even that guy was not really that good. <laughs> he had a strong arm, but he wasn't lighting up anybody. So, yeah, like, good sugar bowl, and that made him the number one pick. That yeah, exactly. It. You know, but I'm used to the uh, the Matt Flynn's of the world uh, being the most dynamic you'll get. Yeah, I mean, they, they played like a, I mean, under Saban and under... Miles, they played like a Big Ten team. Yeah. Even when they were great, they were like a Big Ten team. They didn't move the ball the way this team moves the ball. This is new age football. I've never, I agree. I've never seen LSU like this. And it makes me excited because I know their defense is going to come around. So when that happens, they're going to be, yeah, they've got, they're going to yeah, be serious. The yeah, they're going to be serious once that happens. So that's why I had to give them a slight edge. Who's your, quickly, who's your, who's your uh, leader in the, uh, in the clubhouse right now for the Heisman? Oh man, um, it. This is a very fascinating Heisman race. I mean, the, the two guys that I had at the top going into the year were, I picked Fields, but I had Fields and Tua, um, and those guys for me are 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 in that conversation. But I think Jalen Hurts and really Joe Burrow also at LSU should also belong in Absolutely. the conversation. You know, I. I don't think I, I I think the Burrow situation is borderline foolable. You know, I'm still not, I'm not a complete. He's been shredding teams, but I, I I'm not a I'm not completely sold just yet. Um, only because I just don't trust. Again, I just don't trust the eye, my eyes that the LSU thing can last offensively. But um, Hurts, Fields, Tua, those guys are going to be there uh, all year. Um, barring injury, those three guys will be in New York. And, I mean, right now, I, I would probably lean Hurts because of just the story. Like, 
and that things can change. Obviously, still plenty of time. Oklahoma's probably the most likely to lose, I would say. But um, the fact that he came from Alabama, transfer, goes, plays under Lincoln Riley now, and all of a sudden transforms himself into a first-round NFL quarterback, like just like Kyler Murray last year, won the Heisman in part, I think, because of his story of being a baseball player who was a first-round pick and being 5'11", and, well, not even 5'11", and, you know, in his first year becoming a, a, a Heisman Trophy candidate. Like, I think the same thing could happen with Hurts. So I would have him as a leader in the ballpark. But Tua and Fields, I personally think, are better players. I think most people do as well. And I think they're on better teams. But I also think they'll be penalized because they, they play on such dominant teams with such talent around them. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Hertz. Uh, Hertz, it's just been unreal. Uh, I just did not think he had this in him. Um, as you guys know, I picked Texas to win the conference for the season, and uh, a big part of that was I just did not expect that we'd have a third year in a row where a transfer quarterback and a quarterback who the way he played at Alabama, it just we just he just wasn't this dynamic. He wasn't this dynamic with his arm in combination with his legs. He just looks like a totally different player, and the kids deserve so much credit. Um, I agree. The story is incredible. So, for me, he, he's got to be the guy right now. Uh, I think Burrow is right there, though. He would be up there with Fields, tied for, for, for two and three. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't, Two has played great. I, I guess there's nothing really wrong with how he's played. He's been unbelievable. I just, I guess for me... Because of competition, I haven't seen him really do it against anyone I expect would give Alabama any trouble. I can't, re- I can't really judge him yet. But the other three guys, and I guess you can make the case Hurts hasn't either, but I think Hurts was just so surprising. I didn't expect him to play this well, and I don't think that he has the talent around him that Tua has. So like, I, I grade him a little bit more on a curve. Tua he has the most talent, and he's played the worst competition. So. And Saban could, you know, blame his, I guess, blame his AD for that. But for that reason, I think he would probably be fourth for me. He's so ridiculous. <laughs> so he, he'd be fourth. <laughs> blame the AD for having him not playing. <laughs> so he'd be fourth for me. And then, uh, but I think I'd have one Hurts. And then, I mean, Burrow and Fields are splitting hairs. Um, I'd probably go Hurts too. But it's like, I think they're both right nipping at the, at the heels there. But it's been, it's been, Things haven't gotten crazy in college football yet. It's been pretty tame. Um, I'm hoping it has been tame. It's been mostly chalk. But what's interesting is that there's there feels to be way more contenders. Yes, for the stuff that we thought there'd be like the Heisman. We thought it'd be Lawrence and Tua take your pick. Championships obviously going to be Clemson or Alabama. I mean, Ohio State's a serious threat. Oklahoma's a serious threat. LSU, Auburn's a team we haven't mentioned. They're a serious threat. Yes. So, like. There's this is a real and obviously Georgia. Jake Fromm's another guy we haven't mentioned. So a lot. We of, haven't mentioned even we haven't even mentioned uh, Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, and he's had a, a great season. And at Wisconsin, yeah. after they whooped Michigan, they're in the top ten now too. Jonathan Taylor's going to have Heisman buzz if they continue to win. They have a big game against Ohio State in a couple of weeks. I agree that there seems to be a lot more parity, and honestly, it's because these teams aren't losing. These teams look really impressive. Like the team, yeah. Honestly, I think because of the lack of parity, it looks like there's more parity. But yeah, I think weird. I don't think it's a good thing that Ohio State can like roll over Nebraska 
like like nothing on the road in prime time. But like because of that, like because they can do something like that, like it makes them look like Yeah, now you say, Well, what would they do against Alabama? Like yeah, exactly. whereas before we kinda go with the assumption that Alabama would roll any of these teams. Yeah, that's the thing. Like before there were one or two of these like juggernaut teams, now there's probably six. At least yeah. there appears to be six. So like it makes for the it'll make for likely a very, very fascinating playoff. Which is more than we can ask for at this point. Yep. Let's quickly do flames and trash, uh, Kendall. So I'll start first. My flames this week, the Toronto Raptors. I had to get them flames because at their media day they unveiled the dinosaur throwback uniforms. It had been uh, long requested. It had been long rumored that they would wear them this year. And, in fact, they brought them back. So, if you guys um, don't know, or if you're too young to remember, when the Raptors came from their expansion season, uh, starting in 1996, I think, uh, they had their original uniforms, which had the full Raptor on the the chest of the uniform in the begin in, in the middle of the uniform. If you ever look at '90s uniforms, and as you guys know, we are uniform nerds on this show. Uh, yes. '90s uniforms are really bold, <laughs> like, like they they like really bold with logos and like putting like your logo on the front of your jersey. Like the Hawks had the logo on the front of their jersey, the Raptors on team had the logo on the front of their jersey, and it was a full Raptor with the bat holding the basketball. It is one of the coolest uniforms i think in nba history and that's me i look at Kawhi leonard and i'm like man you missed out you wanted you wanted you wanted la you wanted la la land you wanted beverly hills you wanted staples center la la live you wanted all that you could have worn the iconic damon stoudemire dinosaur uniforms and he passed up the opportunity he should almost be trash for that Based on, on on how awesome these uniforms are, so I gotta so, give the Raptors so a lot of credit. Uh, and I think my theory that I mentioned when he signed to the Clippers uh, has come true. But you see, he you saw he was booed at uh, the LA Rams game. This week. Yeah, and I think my, my it might have been Shelburne, but one that was saying that recent Clippers stars have had that issue at almost every it has been had have had that issue pretty much since they've been good over the last six or seven years. Well, Blake Griffin really? will get booed. Chris Paul will get booed. Yeah, I didn't know this was happening. I, I didn't know. I, she may be right, but I, I just, I, part of me does not believe that that is. It's nearly going to be the same thing. No, this is going to be different because the Lakers thought Laker fans thought they were going to get him, and there are way right. more Laker fans than Clipper fans. And and I, when he when he made this move, I said like, him and Durant are both alienating the cities that they're going to be playing. That's a good question. Now, that, that's a good point, and that brings me to a question. Let's say Katie and Kyrie go to the Yankees playoff game on Friday. Do they get booed? Absolutely. I don't know. I really don't. That's what's crazy about this is that, and that's kind of makes me sad. And maybe I'm really odd. Now, much, to be fair, but I don't. I don't know only because I feel like the Knicks haven't like. The fans have been so disgusted with the Knicks. Right. They're I don't know. I don't know team. if they. Yeah. I don't know if they look at those guys. Like, I don't know if, like with Laker fans, they look at Kawhi making the decision to spurn them. I think with the Knicks, like only people look at it as like they blew it. 
Yeah, like Dolan and Mills. Like they they should have got it done and they didn't. Like they There's for whatever really reason it didn't happen. Not much they could have done, but right. It doesn't. I'm not saying it makes sense at all. But that's like <laughs> the perception. So I don't know. Like it doesn't seem like people and Knicks fans are ready to heap all this blame on Kyrie and KD to the point where I I, I totally think that if you went to a Yankee game, most of the people in there would be Knicks fans. I don't know if they get. I don't know if they get booed. I honestly don't know. This is off the. This is uh, off topic, but I, I, I I'm usually I, I had ten, to speaking of the Knicks. I typically have no issue with, you know, Steve Mills and and Scott Perry and the Knicks regime. You know, I think they they've they've made moves that I agree with, some that I don't agree with, but for the most part, I think they've handled their their positions uh, as well as they could have. But I, I'm not sure what Steve Mills was thinking when he came out, you know, and made his, you know, he made some statement saying that it's been a, a very, very successful off season or something or, you yeah, know, that was, that was fancy. Now, Stefan Bondi, I think Stefan Bondi put in a headline that <laughs> the headline smashing was, success. Yeah. Smashing success. I read that. I was like, no way he said that. And then the quote, he doesn't say smashing success. I was like, okay, you know, that's not as bad, but <laughs> that's clickbait. But um, but still, you know, I feel like that's that's very out of touch for Mills to say that. You know, he, like I understand he has to from a organizational perspective. You know, he may have been directed by James Dolan to say that, but it's borderline fake news to just lie to the fans and say that, like, like this it's, was it's, the outcome that they wanted. It's part of the reason why we talk about the Knicks, and I always say I have confidence in Perry. I have confidence in Fizdale. I purposely leave out Mills in that equation. <laughs> I, every time. And you've heard me in the conversation on the air and off the air. He's been around for a lot of this foolishness. And that quote was asinine. It was just asinine. To say that this was a successful offseason was crazy. And... Now, and now smart basketball, smart basketball people will understand based on the fact that they clearly were not going to get superstar players, you could argue their plan B was successful. That's an arguable case to make. You can't come out without prefacing that and say you had a successful offseason when your owner said you were going to get superstar players. You cannot say that when they expect expectations from the fans where you were going to get superstar players. You look crazy. And, again, maybe it is coming from, and we know the PR team, the Knicks, is what they are. I'll leave it there. Right. They could have said, hey, you need to build this up and, and put some... Make it seem better than it is. Yeah, you need yeah. to really lay it on thick about how great this summer was. But no Knicks fan thought this was a great summer. No, no one. Right. There are Nick fans. There are Nick fans who can feel okay. Yeah, there are Nick fans who can feel okay about the summer. Who like, who, like, and I think a lot of Nick fans have come to grips with what the team is at this point. Right. Like, there are some positive things that have come out of the summer. Yeah, I, I, I totally that. feel like you know, not to you know, throw shade at these guys because they they are uh, they have they are entitled to their opinion about where the team is going. But I do feel Stephen A. Max Kellerman, um, Zach Lowe. Some of these guys who, who present themselves as Knicks fans and present this, like, 
doom and gloom with the worst franchise of all time and every Nick fan is disgusted with every single thing that's happening is not what the most of the fans think. Right. It's unfortunate that they're the most loud voices about what the fans think. You know, I'm boycotting the team, I'm a Nets fan now. Like no Nick fan is doing that. So that so so I, I, I get that part of it that most Nick fans I think have come to grips with what this team is and they're excited to see what happens. You can't come out, fam, and say this was a, a successful offseason. That's crazy. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And it's part of the reason why I always hedge my bets with feeling supremely and fully confident moving forward because of Mills. And, look, Derrick Rose is an interesting cat, but – and I'll leave that there. But when he talked about his time with the Knicks – the one guy he singled out is the guy that kind of made him feel uneasy with Steve Mills. He said Steve Mills and the way he tried to connect to players he thought was disingenuous. He felt he was wow. using the fact that he was black as really his only way to connect to these guys. And to now that's to him. Obviously other guys could feel differently. But that's a player who was with the Knicks who said, I had no problem with Phil Jackson. My issue was with Steve Mills. And I, I kind of did a double take. I'm like, what? Like, Steve Mills? Like, like how was that an issue? Now, we all know Derrick Rose is, again, I will repeat one more time, an interesting character. So I don't want to put what just he went through on every single guy that's happened. But, again, you combine some of the stuff Mills, he gave Tim Hardaway that contract. You combine the stuff that Mills has been a part of. I just have questions. I really am a Nick fan. I hope that he steers the ship. And I hope that with working with Perry and Fisdale, they get this thing right. But yeah, that quote was insane. And if had didn't have a second, I, I could have made him my trash this week, but I, I had to go somewhere else. But yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, but uh, flames for me this week uh, is Howard basketball. And you may be wondering, <laughs> why am I talking about Howard basketball? You know, what did they do this week? Why oh, yeah. they so, Howard Basketball, uh, they are in the, they're going to the second year, into their second year under uh, Coach Kenneth Blakeney. Um, they were not an NCAA tournament team last year. Uh, I, I don't believe they made the NCAA tournament since last I checked was, uh, I believe, 1992. So, you know, Howard Basketball, they're, there's I guess there's nowhere to go but up. For this program, clearly, but uh, they are making absolute waves. It feels like in the recruiting trail for college basketball, which for a MEAC school, uh, for me to ever say they are making waves in the in the recruiting trail is uh, it, it goes uh, it goes without saying that that is uh, meaningful. Uh, yeah. Last season, they did have a successful year. They lost in the first round of the CBI uh, to Coastal Carolina. So they did make a postseason tournament. So not they weren't terrible. Clearly, they're on the, 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 the upswing. But a couple weeks ago, there was a report um, that was confirmed by Chris Broussard that uh, McCord Maker, uh, who's a top five, top ten, top five player, depending on who you ask, uh, seven-footer out of California, um, if you've ever seen tape, you probably you may have seen tape balls life, you know, Instagram videos or Twitter videos. He's basically he's seven foot, but he plays and dribbles like a guard. 
the name sounds familiar because he's the cousin of Thon Maker. Mm-hmm. He had announced and it was reported and confirmed that he was going to take a visit to Howard. Yep. Um, this was this was pretty uh, earth shattering because you know I mean one five star recruits never take visits to Howard. Uh, but this also was interesting because it came pretty much off the heels of a week or two before that. Jamel Hill had came out with her piece in the Atlantic talking about that play coming out with essentially the proposal or the idea that uh, five star recruits in basketball and football, uh, obviously particularly black uh, five star recruits, uh, should start to look at HBCUs as a as an alternative to going to uh, your major Power Five schools um, because of some of the resources that they have. Uh, because it kind of puts control back in their hands to some extent. And, you know, these schools uh, may be looking out for these athletes more than your typical Power 5 school would. Um, And it would just shake up the status quo, obviously, of college sports. Mm -hmm. But um, that was proposed a couple weeks later. The court maker is going on a visit or is reportedly going on a visit, and his visit is scheduled for a couple weeks from now. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't bring it up on the show. I was like, "All right, this is interesting." But for being real, like he's probably not going to Howard. One player to an official visit. You know, he could just be going there just to have a good time for a weekend. You know, guys get five visits. But I am bringing it up now because this was then, and also McCord Maker. A lot of talk that he may not even go to college. You know, his brother or his cousin Don Maker didn't go to college. Uh, so it was, it was, I like it was it was one thing. But now, this week, uh, we get a report from Jamel Hill, an article from Jamel Hill in the Atlantic, a second one, a follow-up to her first article that then breaks the news that top 10 guard Josh Christopher out of California is also going to take an official visit to Howard mm-hmm. um, this upcoming weekend. Now, this, to me, is even more noteworthy because Josh Christopher... One, I mean, the guy, he's an extremely dynamic player, uh, extremely popular player um, on social media. You know, he's a, obviously a kid out of California, West Coast kid, but um, maybe the most popular guy, one of the five most popular guys probably in this upcoming recruiting class. But, uh, like, his name holds weight in the basketball world in a way that, like, one, he's not a guy where it's mature maker, where it's like, all right, you know, he's from Canada or Australia, wherever he's from, and you know, obviously originally from Sudan. Like, it's a more, and he may go overseas. Like, it's a more bizarre situation. Josh Christopher is your standard McDonald American, plays high school basketball in California. He just wants to. He's he's seriously taking a visit to Howard, and I find it interesting that both of these guys are considering this HBCU path, and they're both considering Howard. You know, because it'd be one thing if Josh Christopher was like, yeah, I'm thinking about taking a visit to, to Florida a and You know, I'd be like, I mean, this is weird. But uh, so I, I don't know if this is about Howard or if this is about a new movement that we could potentially be seeing. You know, if you're Howard, if you're getting a visit from both these guys, it certainly gives you the chance that you can get one of them. And even getting one of them changes the game for that program. They do somehow find a way to land both of them that would completely wreck college basketball and 
it would completely uh, not wreck it in a, in a negative way, but it would completely throw the status quo for an absolute loop. Um, and in a way that I would like to see, not because I have any. I mean, look, I, if, I, if I have my choice, I don't got to go to Memphis, but Memphis <laughs> is not for less. So, you know, so I'm I'm in a position where I look, I have no rooting interest in where these guys go, but I want to see these guys go there as a case study. How would this work? Yeah. You know, like, like how would they be covered nationally? Like, we always have the question of, and it became a bigger conversation this week because some people were talking about Zion Williamson and. You know, with the whole paying thing and, you know, oh, yeah, you know, the value of the players in the program and Zion only was valuable because of Duke. And some people saying, well, no, Zion was a brand before Duke. And so it became a back and forth. Well, this would be a test to see what's the value of a five-star, one-and-done, top-ten player. Is it in the program that they go to or is it in the player? Um, I would say look at John Morant. He wasn't a five-star recruit, but nope. he was a five-star talent, obviously. Yeah. This season at Murray State, and look at the buzz, and look at the buzz that he generated. His games were all streamed on ESPN Plus. Yeah, and and, and by came to March Madness, he was the biggest. He was the biggest story. Yeah, he was the biggest star and biggest story outside of Duke. So, like, my thing is, if Josh Christopher went to Howard or McCormaker or both of them. If they went to Howard, it would be, I think, no different than what John Morant did at Murray State. Mm. And, like, but if those guys did it at Howard, it would have it would have a way bigger impact culturally and socially than, obviously, what John Morant did, which was cool at Murray State, but it was, you know, it's something that's been done before. So, I mean, this is a very, very fascinating story, but shout out to Howard Basketball. They may not get either one of these guys, but even being on the radar will put you on the radar for the next five star you could potentially get yeah it's super it's super exciting to see that Howard is uh is you know has a shot at these guys and I think Jamel Hill definitely deserves a shout out for uh for for this you know possibly you know this is happening I think that it wasn't a coincidence that she came out with that article that raised a lot of attention and had a lot of people uh, asking questions and uh these kids i think certainly probably got wind of it and thought well you know let me take a look at these hbcus i'm sure that the advisors that they've been talking to the people that are handling them uh, whether it be their parents or other people aau coaches they probably haven't really presented hbcus as a possibility so i think that uh jamel wanted to start a conversation and she was able to do that so she deserves a lot of credit if these if uh if you know the reason why these guys are taking this chance is because uh, of the situation with um, uh, because of the situation with uh, with the, the article she wrote on the HBCUs. Uh, real quickly, my trash is uh, we've mentioned them a million times. So I don't want to go too much into them, but Nebraska football, uh, they uh, they embarrassed themselves this past weekend, and I guess the reason why I'm making them trash is because I just feel like there was a lot of talk and a lot of praise on the Nebraska history from a lot of Nebraska's fan base and a lot of the Nebraska program about this being their return to national prominence in this high-profile big matchup against Ohio State. They kind of shocked everybody when they went to the horseshoe last year and really competed against Ohio State in a really tough matchup. And to go out there and just get whooped the way they did uh, against uh, OSU was just 
it, it was it was just embarrassing to watch. One of the players got suspended for striking, <laughs> uh, 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 for, for striking a guy on Northwestern. Um, well, excuse me, striking a guy on Ohio State during the game. Uh, Khalil Davis, the defensive lineman. So this was just you got suspensions. You got just a dominant performance by the Buckeyes. Uh, Scott Frost's group was not ready, and um, you know all the talk from Dwayne Wade and Jamel and, uh, and uh, Gabrielle Union. And I, I saw a commercial with Mina, Mina Kimes talking about, I didn't even know she was from Nebraska. She's talking about seeing, you know, Tommy Frazier beat Miami in the Orange Bowl. And I'm like, well, where are all these Nebraska people coming from? And then they get beat like that? Like, come <laughs> yeah, on, Yeah, all of the Nebraska fans that come out of the woodwork. Yeah, they came all out of the woodwork for this game. And then that's what the team put together. The, the, fran- the, the program was talking about how big of a, a, big of a measuring stick this game was going to be. Man, they were. They gotta not learn ready. from Pitt. They were they not ready. Pitt fans. Pitt fans, we only come out when we win. <laughs> yeah, like, you guys we, heard about we, that. We, you'll find out. You'll find out there are a lot of random Pitt fans. Like we beat UCF, all of a sudden Lewis Riddick this tweet hails a Pitt. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Nebraska clearly didn't get that memo because I saw way too yeah, many Nebraska fans and people talking this week. They were really. They thought that they were gonna make a statement and, or at least you know, put themselves back on the map. And man. They got exposed. So, they're trash for me this week. Who you got, Kendall? Yeah, trash for me this week, EJ, Washington State. Uh, you may be thinking that I'm picking Washington State because they lost back-to-back games against uh, UCLA. And who did they lose to USC this week? Or? I don't even remember. Uh, they lost to – I don't know who they lost to last week, but I saw that Mike Leach said that his players were fat and lazy. I yeah, think. he did say that, you know, that <laughs> – he could have been trash because I feel like in this climate, that's a very uh, dangerous statement. But he's also Mike Leach, so he can he's probably said and done much worse things and uh, or alleged to have, been, <laughs> to have done much worse things. So, but we won't go more into in depth of Mike Leach's uh, track record. But um, Washington State is actually trash because uh, the basketball program and the basketball program is they are retiring Clay Thompson's jersey. Thompson were number one at Washington State, and they were retiring it. And that's why they trashed this week. And you may think, what's wrong with Washington State career? It doesn't have many NBA superstars at all, or I don't say have any. Retiring the probably the best player in school history. I'll tell you without a doubt, the best player in school history. Uh, it's not necessarily – I'm not necessarily giving them trash for retiring Clay Thompson's jersey in general, but it's more about – the practice in general, which I've talked about, I believe, on the show in the past, but it, bringing it up again because it irks me, is the practice of, in college basketball particularly, of teams retiring a guy's jersey based off the, the success that they had in the NBA. Because I only say that because I look at Clay Thompson, had a solid career at Washington State, the lottery pick. So, I mean, obviously, again, still an excellent player in school history. But if we're being real, is Clay Thompson's jersey really getting retired if he weren't, if he wasn't an NBA superstar and champion? Definitely not. Almost definitely not. They didn't, they didn't win anything. I mean, maybe because it's Washington State, like like ten years from now they would have brought him back and you know, oh yeah, he's all time leading scorer, whatever he is. But it wouldn't be happening now. Um, in fact, Kelly Thompson got kicked off the team at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> last year, yeah, right? yo, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> he cost him, guy, he cost him a chance of playing the NCAA tournament. So that's why I'm. That's why I look at this, <laughs> and it's just 
I look, I get why you do it. It helps recruiting, you know, respects an all time great, you know, he's an alum. On some level, he's probably a booster. He can donate to the or he can donate to the program. So there are a lot of reasons why you kind of have to do it. But it just it just because then you'll see the guy that is an all time great player in school history, or a guy that's on the level of someone like Clay Thompson, and it may it may not be there. It could be at another school that didn't turn into an NBA superstar that doesn't get that same recognition, like. I mean, there are plenty of players that I can name a random guy. Uh, Gravis Vasquez. Gravis Vasquez isn't going to get his number retired at Maryland. He's a great player. If Gravis Vasquez became an NBA all-star point guard, his number would be retired at Maryland. Definitely. And should that matter? I mean, on some level. No, it, I don't think it should. I'll be it honest. really shouldn't. No. Because this is a college thing, but this is. I, that, I, think it should what, only, I think it should only matter if you're like Jordan. Like seriously, right. I I think like or like LeBron, like LeBron they obviously go to college, but like I, I like unless you're like the best player in the NBA, right? Like, then it's like all right, we kind of have to recognize that you went here. You know? Yeah, like I kind of understand. This is why I think me you argued about Harden. And I was like, I'll be okay with Harden because yeah, I didn't like the Harden thing. I was like, dude, they're two years I didn't know, win him. He was an MVP. Like I, I could I could almost live with that a <laughs> right, little bit. Right. The Thompson thing is kind of ridiculous because I I agree. He, he was a great player. I mean, he's a, he's a great player, but he didn't. Talent, yeah, he was a great talent. He didn't comp. I mean, there there are guys who like. I mean, Tony Bennett had players at at uh at Washington State. That, you remember Kyle Weaver? Yeah, I mean Kyle Weaver. Uh, Kyle Weaver. Uh, Derek 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 Lowe. I mean, you know, those guys yeah. went deep into the tournament and you know were had the team ranked in the top five in the country. Like those guys, they never gonna get that jersey room. <laughs> retired. Clay Thompson. Kyle Weaver's like, yo, I'm the all-time lead scorer. <laughs> My dream is not retired. I'm, I'm playing in Istanbul. Yeah, it's it, it ain't it is that's that's there's something wrong with that. And I do think I said Kay Thompson, he got suspended for the rest of the season late in the season because of a marijuana arrest I think he had. So how does he get his number retired? Like he didn't do anything of note. In fact, again, the team under Ken Bowen had their best chance of making the tournament and he, he he was gone. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't really love it, but it's become a thing now. I think that it's a way for these schools to also kind of like it's another recruiting tool to me. To me, that's what it, this all this is. It's of course it's like you know, look who we have in our rafters: Clay Thompson. Like you know who Clay Thompson is. Like no one knows who Kyle like, Weaver or Kevin or, 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 or Derek if, Lowe is. If Romeo Langford goes on to be an NBA All Star. His number is getting retired in Indiana. I know, and that's that's a, a travesty. It's a travesty. He had an awful yeah. season. You know, he's hurt, but his team didn't go to the NCAA tournament. But if he becomes a superstar player in the NBA, his number is going to get retired. And my thing was Carson like, Carson Edwards is a bust. He may not get his number retired at Purdue. My thing is, look, if you were like all American, great, great player, like I have no problem with Kevin Durant's number being tired of Texas. He was oh, yeah. the best player in the country. So right. that's like, even though he was one year and they didn't win anything, he was completely outstanding he was right. historic that's different than like clay thompson averaged 20 points his junior year got kicked off the team at the end his team didn't make the tournament partially because he got suspended and then he gets his number retired like that's not that's not how this should work you can rep your nba guys but they have to have done something significant at your program like yeah, you can't just be they, can't just be a stopping ground before they got to the league i think thomas got his number retired at washington i'm not too mad about that one because, like, he stayed four years. Like, I mean, he wasn't 
a legend, I don't think, of Washington, but, like... He had a historic moment. He had a game-winning shot in a... Yeah, yeah, Pac-10 great championship game. Like, in program history. So, yeah, like, give, you can give him his credit. He's, he just reps the program so much. He reps the school so much. But, like, I mean, Clay Thompson, does he even talk about the fact that he goes to Washington State? Like, I forget he goes to Washington State until... Yeah, like, he doesn't bring it up. Until like, I see it on NBA 2K or, or you know, I see, a, a you know, a, a roster... And as they write yeah, school, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. He went to Washington State. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's weird to me. And I don't think he likes to rep it because probably because the way things ended. Probably. So, I mean, look, ain't much happening over there in, uh, in Washington State anyway. <laughs> I mean, you've seen the basketball program the last since he left. <laughs> and yeah. now that good. So that's fair. he's not going to be rushing to rep those guys. Anyway, uh, what's your uh, let's, Kendall get, let's do Kendall's court so we can get out of here. Yeah, so um, Kendall scored this week. Uh, we had a very interesting uh, rap battle. You know, we normally don't talk about rap battles here on uh, New Generation Media. Yeah, you can find that New- conversation yeah. on the Joe Button podcast. Yeah, not it necessarily. Started from the Joe Button podcast. Actually started, podcast. yeah. This thing actually started from the Joe Button podcast. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Damian Lillard, MD- the NBA's resident uh, hip hop superstar. Uh, Dame Dalla was on the Joe Budden podcast talking about a variety of subjects. One of the topics that was brought up uh, was essentially, is he the best basketball rapper ever? Is he the best Hooper rapper ever? Uh, and the name, one name that was thrown out there was Shaq. Shaq, of course, has a couple of, uh, you know, I guess platinum records. And, you know, obviously was a fairly big name in the 90s and uh, early 2000s when it came to music and um but uh, Dame essentially, you know, he, he gave Shaq his respect, but he also acknowledged that he essentially said people listen to Shaq because he's Shaq. Or we're talking about Shaq rapping because he was Shaq, not because of the quality of his music, essentially. And so, and that essentially that he was better than Shaq. Shaq heard this. Uh, and then about a week or two later, uh, this, uh, fast forwarding to now, Shaq comes out with a, and releases a diss track. Uh, towards Damian Lillard. Uh, now, I'll give Shaq his credit. I thought that this was a good diss track. You know, I, I think um, he had some he had some good lines in there. Uh, you know, I, there were some lines in there that didn't make sense or some things he was saying. You know, he definitely took it personally, and that's kind of the theme of the, of the song. That he took personally. But um, I thought Shaq's track was really good. Dame then the next day comes out with a, and that's always good when you're going to come back with a rebuttal diss track. It's got to come out really quick. Dame's came out really quick. He put out a tweet said, all right, now I can go to practice. He dropped it right before practice. But um, Dame's was better. That's all That's all I'll say. You know, Dame's was better. Yeah, we got we to we gotta be honest, Kendall. These analysts and TV personalities are lying to the public. By saying that Shaq, they saying that Shaq won this beef. No, no. no. Damian Lillard put Shaq in a body bag, then put then put Shaq's body bag into a body bag. Like Shaq again, I give Shaq his credit. I thought he came out with a really good diss track. But you kind of if if you're if you're gonna put out a diss track against a good against a good rapper, which I would would consider Damian Lillard a good rapper on for this standard. Like, you have to understand, you are opening yourself up to get destroyed. 
and Damian Lillard used some of the material that Shaq used against him against Shaq. So, which I is mean, the sign of a great diss track. Exactly. That's, that's that's when you know you're against a real MC, which like why I gotta I mean, give. Shaq calls him. Shaq, Shaq called Damian Lillard a Tesla. He's like, yeah, I'm a Tesla because I don't need. No diesel gas. Yeah, I don't. I don't run on diesel. Gas. Yeah, I don't run on diesel gas. I'm like, come on. Like, I mean, come on. He put Shaq in a body bag. He said Miami uh, went went on went on the strength of Flash. Yeah. I mean, the only line that I thought I could not rock with Dame on was when he said Kobe won you them rings. Because anybody who of watched course, that was false. Yeah, anybody who watched Shaq just obliterate the New Jersey Nets. Knows that, yeah, that, that was, is that not was, what happened. Yeah, that's fake news. And and, but, and it was crazy. The reason why I had to say that is because there are Kobe fans who will run with that line and and like use that as their case to keep. Yeah, be like, look, even David Lillard saying Kobe yes. won those rings. You know, we need to put a stop to that because that is we not tell the what truth happened. here. Yeah, we <laughs> we tell the truth. Oh, <laughs> so that is not what happened. But Damon Lillard had some he, bars. He said, you know, he's like, yeah, you make, he said, what do you think? He's like, yeah, you make millions, but they traded you for Penny. Yeah, I mean, come on, fam. <laughs> you make millions, but they traded you for Penny? Those are bars. Damon Lillard, I, I think the reason why, I, not to be fair, the older, the people who have been claiming victory for Shaq, most of them are his friends, but also right. they or, or at least know him or work in the same industry. Also, I think they're older, and I think that Lillard, like Shaq's, like Shaq's, like delivery and his, his flow was his was flow was way more of what you would hear in the '90s, which I love the '90s. So it it wasn't it wasn't a a minus for me. But I think because of that, I think people were like the older heads were more running to oh no, Shaq had a better song. Shaq's song was way too long to me. Like, Shaq, I felt like he picked a great beat. I mean, uh, you know, um, Dr. Dre. I mean, how, you can't go wrong. So he picked a great beat. I thought his flow was decent. And he had some good lines. I just think because, and it's it's kind of like the, it's, to be honest, I think it's a perfect, like, dichotomy of, like, when you have, like, a lyricist of today versus sometimes a lyricist of yesterday that's not always the case because black thought came from the night that black thought could wrap reigns around anybody but sometimes i feel like 90s style rapping can be more simplistic sometimes and when you have someone like dame who could mix his flow up a little bit more i, I think people weren't maybe accustomed to listening to rap if you haven't listened to rap recently like it sounds more like what you would hear from dame Lillard or heard from dame Lillard on that song but objectively, someone who likes both sides, Dame Lillard destroyed Shaq. Shaq, he he was good for like a minute and a half and two minutes, and then like you could tell, like he just kind of kept going and going and going. It was like, okay, I'm, I've had enough. I didn't want to listen to it anymore. Whereas Dame, like, was smart in that like his song built up, like it started kind of solid. And I was like, okay, let's see when it you know, starts to pick up. Early on, I was like, okay, I think Shaq may have him. But then he got like the the more brutal lines came later and like that's what you want to do you want to end with the you know the the the, the hard-hitting line so Lillard absolutely won that rap battle and me you I'm glad that we are both in agreement on that yep that's our analysis <laughs> so uh maybe one day we'll do a new generation hip-hop podcast 
that's uh, a preview. Yeah, that's that's a preview to that to whenever that show drops. But that's the end of this new generation sports talk podcast. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. We had a fun time discussing all the stuff with you guys. Of course, you can catch all of our shows on the New Generation Podcast Network. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, check us out on social media. You can catch check us on uh, Facebook, New Generation Media, on Twitter, New Generation Pod, and on Instagram, New Generation Podcasts. You can find me on social media, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. Uh, if I did not say it before, also check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. And if you are in New York City and you're going to New York Comic Con, we will be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if you see us and you see one of us hauling around a camera and a microphone, or if you just see us chilling, come say hello. Come do an interview with us. We'd love to chat with you. Uh, if you follow us on social media, again, New Generation Podcasts on, on uh, Instagram. That's where you probably see most of our content from Comic-Con. Also, you follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram, EJ underscore Stewart. Oh, excuse me, Instagram, Action EJ. Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. You'll be able to see all of our stuff, and maybe you'll run into us. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. Thank you, Kendall, for joining me as always. I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.